everyone, and welcome to Beyond Rent, the podcast that's focused on having conversations with experts so we can all learn more about the property management industry. I'm Joe Easton from Rent Manager, and I'll be your host. Joining me today is Peter Best. He is the president of Magnum York Property Management. In this episode, we take a look at how his company is leveraging technology to improve operations and eliminate downtime that could be caused by factors outside of their control. Peter spent a lot of time creating the infrastructure to do this, and he has lots of great ideas for you to consider. So let's get to the conversation and go Beyond Rent. There isn't a day that goes by that we don't talk about how the past year and a half has changed how we act and operate. During this time, companies have been shifting to better operate regardless of what is happening around us. And most of these updates also have allowed companies to become better at managing all types of other situations like natural disasters and emergencies. One such company that has made many of these types of changes is Magnum York. So we have Peter Best joining us today to discuss the changes that they've made. Peter, welcome to Beyond Rent. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk about this because I love technology. I love how people are using technology. And so I'm interested to see what you're doing and how you're structuring your company to operate from this idea of being anywhere, anytime, in any situation. But before we get into that, we have to learn a little bit more about who you are. So, Peter, take a minute, introduce yourself, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, about Magnum York, and maybe even how you got started in property management to begin with. Sure, I can do that for you. Thanks, Joe. So, Magnum York right now is, uh, we have five offices across uh, Alberta in Canada. Uh, We have various size offices from kind of five to up to about 18 people per office. Um, we connect all online together as a group. Uh, we manage properties, everything from a single family house all the way into multi-family apartment buildings, HOAs, um, and throw a little bit of commercial in there for fun as well. So we do a little bit of everything on there. Um, the company itself has been around since 92. Um, I ended up getting into the business in 2008. I bought Magdum York. And at the time I was the sixth employee. And then I've been growing the company ever since through acquisitions and organic growth and that kind of stuff. So it's been a very big, very exciting little last 13 years for sure of growth. Yeah, I can only imagine in 13 years is plenty of time to have some experience and also see how technology has changed the industry, changed your own company. What caused you back then 13 years ago to even get involved in the property management industry? Did you have kind of a foot in the door? Was it a family thing? What was your kind of first inclination to to move into this industry? So my father, uh, I remember being 12 years old and going to a real estate deal. My dad bought his first apartment building when I was 12 and going in the deal and sitting at a table with all these adults talking about whatever they're talking about. And then they get me hot chocolate. That's all I remember. And that's my dad's first building he bought. And then from then on, I remember doing like cleaning and and not really collecting rent, but cleaning, landscaping, maintenance, little maintenance things as dad had time for us or we had time for dad. Maybe look at a better way to look at it. So I kind of grew up that way. Um, so we always had a little bit of apartment buildings in our life. Um, and then when I got older, I started buying some little fourplexes and that kind of stuff. Um, my background is actually computer science. I was a software developer for 15 years for various companies and various sizes and various industries, actually. And so I had that background already. 
but I really liked the idea of property management. It was really exciting. It was interesting. Um, it was it was very, I won't say structured, but it had this, a set schedule of things where in the technology world, you may be working 20 hour nights, 20 hour days for, for two weeks straight to get a deadline done. Uh, where in property management, it seemed a little more structured. So I kind of liked that idea compared to those days. Um, so that's kind of where I got into it. And then when I started getting property management, that's when I started managing the family's properties. And then from there, I grew in the idea that oh, I need to get bigger so I can do this full time. And that's when I bought Magnum York. Thanks for sharing that that experience and that history. I do find it amazing how many people have like this family connection to the property management industry and that you have the, like these fond memories of going back and this connection of hot chocolate and real estate <laughs> kind of going hand in hand. And I can see as a kid how that would be, I don't know, like triggering in your mind. Every time you think real estate, you think, oh man, that really good hot chocolate. Like, <laughs> like that's pretty much what it was, Joe. Exactly. So I had good hot chocolate and listen to these guys talk about numbers that I had no idea what they're talking about. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was cool. I was proud I went there, but I have no idea what happened. <laughs> well, and just the idea, I don't know if that was intentional to have you there so you could learn and kind of see what's happening, but there was obviously an impression that was made that this was the type of industry that you'd be possibly interested in down the road. And it did lead to kind of being the passion for your career. So I think that's a lot of fun. And the, and the idea that you have this technology background is unique probably to the space. I mean, there are many people with technology backgrounds. I know the owner of our company, Dave, uh, he had a technology background and his parents had a property management background. And obviously that's kind of where our ca company came from as well. So it isn't uncommon, but I would also say that it's not super common as well for someone to have a deep um, understanding and passion for technology as well. I felt that I felt when I, when I first looked at, at the industry, I was looking at how everything was very like I came from a technology world where everything was the bleeding edge of technology and it kind of sometimes sucked. But you looked at real estate and they were the opposite side. They were they were still using paper. They were using all these weird systems. I'm like, why aren't you using these these cool tools that can make life better? And so when I got in the industry, I learned some, some sometimes why we didn't do the bleeding edge stuff. And, and I have to admit, as a business owner, I stopped doing bleeding edge stuff. I don't take chances on technology that's not solid because I just can't, we're too big and, and I'm just, it's too much painful for my clients and us if we have too much technology on bleeding edge. But I also know we can we can leverage the technology that's, that's a strong technology like your guys' software to build on better tools than anything else. Yeah, and that's really wise. And I think most business owners would agree, right? There's this idea of risk and co opportunity cost and all of these things that you kind of put into place to understand how you need to operate and how you need to scale. And you can't, do something that would risk the future growth of the company. So you kind of move a little more slowly. Sometimes you stick to some slightly older technology for a while, but you're always trying to find those new things that you can implement to speed things up, automate, or whatever it might be that you need to, to grow and scale your business. And I'm sure over 13 years, there's been a lot of that that's taken place for you. Oh, 100%, 100%. Even just the filing cabinet space that we use is, we have the same amount of filing cabinets we had eight years ago. And maybe nine years ago, a long time ago, we haven't increased our filing cabinet size because we've gone to more electronic documents and our mm -hmm. filing cabinets aren't are expanding more like they used to be. Yeah. Which is probably a good thing, right? <laughs> save space well, for other things. <laughs> rent is very expensive for most of us. So yeah, anytime I can save floor space is good. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, we talked about technology already just for a moment there, but let's kind of rewind and go back to the when you first got into property management 13 years ago and talk about how the company was structured then, uh, what did Magnum York and their operations look like before you had a lot of technology in place? So let's start with the phone systems and let's start with the reception desk. 
So the reception desk uh, was lady. Uh, it was a, a great lady, and I swear to God, her voice would she'd lose her voice every day because the system basically was the phone would ring, and then she'd yell, "Peter, line one," or, or "Bonnie, line two. and she'd just yell that all day. She'd yell from the front desk, and and we'd hear in her office, and we'd answer, we go pick line one and answer. So one of the first things I ever did in Magnum was get a phone system that she could actually transfer phone calls. Because for whatever reason, this old phone system that they had was so bad, they couldn't transfer phone calls. All they had to do was yelling system. So I remember that's the first technology I did. And I remember her going, thank you, Peter. And my, like her said, her, my voice feels better already. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing to think that 13 years ago, that was still the case. But I'd even guess that maybe some people listening to this podcast probably are still using, you know, older phone systems because there hasn't been a big enough pain point to make that change. But even a little change like that, a little bit of technology goes a long way. It was, it was for sure. So the other big one we did at that was we were basically paper-based, like I said, um, lots of filing cabinets, lots of duplicative files, um, lots of things were, were photocopied multiple times in files so you could pull copies out and work with them and not a mess up with the, the master copy, things like that. So lots of that kind of stuff was there. Um, the software we were using um, was not stable. Uh, we were using one of the competitors that they were just having a hell of a time keeping stability going on the software. We were just maxing out the size of the, the software. Even at five employees, we were maxing out the size of the software. And so we're running, we're spending more time figuring out why, when it failed, where it failed and how to fix it. than we were actually, were just, just doing accounting or just doing property management. Um, so I was, a, that was a big one. I came in there and said within about a year or two, we, we changed that software up for actually yeah, about two years. It took us to change that software up because we kind of started listing all the reasons why. And that was the next big change. We kind of did that change in about 2010. Yeah. I mean, and changing software is difficult, especially if it's a foundational software, if it's something that's accounting based or uh, CRM based or whatever it might look like. There's a lot of moving pieces. So that is a challenge. Uh, but I imagine there's a lot of efficiencies that you were able to take on by just, like you said, having some stability there and not worrying about, you know, can people even get access to the data? Um, and you can't put more data into something that you aren't confident you're going to be able to get that data back out of. Well, so it was, we were spending my, we, we started watching, which what the motivation actually was to switch was our accounting team was spending uh, an hour or two on, on the simplest financials because the balance sheet wasn't matching to the AR and AP. And the company that we're working with basically was saying, well, you guys are doing drill entries into those control accounts. And we'd go back going, I don't see them. Like we balanced last month. We don't balance this month. And we dig through and find some weird entry that popped up there. And they'd be like, oh, we can fix that for you. I'm like, well, great. But why is it there? And that was, that's the reason we started calculating the amount of time that we're spending fixing financials uh, for properties. And we just, that's when we, that's when we said, we, we got to find a better solution. That's, that's, that was the final straw was actually trying a better solution was the amount of time we are fixing financials where they should have just worked. That should have just, AR and AP should just balance to your balance sheet no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we look at technology, we all naturally assume that there's time and cost savings when you implement new technology or when you're using technology in general. But I think what you're saying there and what I hear is it's got to be the right technology, right? It actually has to be producing the results that you thought it was going to produce. Otherwise, you you spend more time managing the technology than using the technology. And it's a, it's a deficit instead of a, a, an incentive for your, your team. Oh, 100%. And that's exactly what it is, Joe. Exactly. Managing is what you want to avoid. You want to use it. Technology is a tool. It shouldn't be an, a hindrance on how you're working. It shouldn't affect how you affect your clients. It should be supporting you. It's a tool at the end of the day. And if the tool's not working, you need to replace it. And when you start doing cost, cost analysis on that tool, that's when you get the motivation to change. And I, I, I'm sure people listening to this podcast have looked at that second guest switching software or whatever, because it's a, it's a hassle, all the training, all the setup, all the everything, all being involved. But hopefully when 
three months, six months, whatever it is, you look back and go, I can't believe I waited this long. And that's kind of the hope of all the technology or any tool you're working with is that look back and go, I, I can't believe I lived with, this, with that tool for so long. Yeah, 100%. And I think we all feel that way. I, I think, you know, when we look at things like smartphones or streaming services that we use in our personal lives, most of us can't imagine going backwards and getting rid of those things. And the business world is the same way. And sometimes we don't think of it that way, but it's really the truth. Once you have certain things in place, once there are certain tools and access to data in place, you can't ever go back to the old way of doing things like the idea of, you know, signing documents on on paper instead of doing it online, once you see that efficiency and you understand how it is beneficial, you never ever go backwards, right? You only go forward and try to find new ways to do that. So it makes me wonder, okay, so phone systems, software years ago, as the years progressed, what are some of the other ways that you've started to leverage technology and maybe even leading all the way up to like last year's pandemic type mentality? What was happening along those years to allow your team to leverage uh, technology better? So the first part, uh, I said about 2010, we switched over to Rent Manager actually, uh, because that stability. And that alone allowed us to start doing work from home. But that, that, that instantly gave us the ability to work remotely on some things, not everything, because we're still very paper-based, but that, that base technology allowed us to do things from home. So if there's a snowstorm or if someone was ill, but not too ill to come to the office, but ill enough to work, work kind of thing, they could put a couple hours in the morning and, and finish some things off remotely. And it really opened up the opportunity to open a lot more things. So I remember like centralizing files. So we were using a, a Google solution initially, and then we moved to a, a Microsoft solution for our, our, our files. So all of our files for corporate and all the head office stuff was all online. Our offices, our different offices still had servers locally. And there was, at the time, there's various reasons for security and, and that kind of stuff. Um, um, but we kind of had, we had mostly working remotely kind of stuff. Uh, we looked at the idea of all of our little pieces that tied into it. So our banking software was all remote access now. Um, we only thing we really had to do now was print checks towards the end. So, and then when the pandemic came, that kind of gave us the ability to, or forced us, to, forced us actually to, uh, go the, the next step to go come fully utilized for, to remote working. So, and we always tell the story to our staff and, and a lot of people is that in January before the pandemic started, me and my buddy, uh, one, of my, one of my senior people here were, were in a hotel visiting our Edmonton office and we we're just talking about COVID and what would happen if it came to Canada and what would happen if we actually got shut down. And we literally on a piece of napkin, which it sounds cheesy, but we did on a bed back napkin, we wrote all the, the five or six things that we could not do remotely. And I said, you know what? All those things have kind of started. We should start picking away at them. And we, the following week, we started picking away. And by the first week of March, we had everyone, all of, all of our servers online, all of our phone systems remote access. So we had phone apps and all that. You could put a phone app or you could do a soft phone on your computer. Um, we had our files. The only thing we couldn't figure out or couldn't do very well was check printing. That's still a physical process of check printing and signing checks. Besides that, we had everything else in place by, by the, just at the second, just being the second week in March. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, in Canada, March 16th is the day they shut down Canada and said everyone has to work from home. So we were just in the nick of time for doing that. But it was changed a lot of things in how we do things. It for sure did. Your timing, obviously, was almost too good to be true, right? But it is a reality that your company already kind of had that mentality of, okay, how do we work online better? How do we get access to our data in more efficient ways? How do we, because you already had a scattered workforce, right? Multiple offices in multiple places. You already had to have that mentality because you know, as an operator, letting every office operate 
in their own way, using their own paperwork, or even if it's the same paperwork where they're accessing it differently, that's not an efficient way to operate. That everyone truly has to have access to the same tools and the same resources and follow the same procedures for you to be able to scale your company and continue to grow. So you already kind of had that in place, but the, the timing again, was nearly perfect. So you had everything ready in place. What do you think the past year and a half would have looked like for your company had you not had that conversation? Had you not written those things down on that napkin? We've been scrambling a lot more. It, affect, it affected our customer service at the end of the day. Like end of the day, we still would have collected rent because we know how to do that through electronic transfers. But our customer service would have dropped dramatically. And that was a piece that that we were worried about is that basically we we felt that no matter pandemic or no pandemic, we had to make sure our customer service was the same level. And and, and the one one comment we were joker were kind of directly goes is could we, can we improve our customer service by because of the pandemic? Can they force us to do some things that we weren't doing to be better at what we're doing? And so that was kind of our thing is can we do better customer service now with the systems in place that we built? And that was kind of our goal when we're starting to do some of this stuff. And you're coming about that we already had the mentality or the culture around that change. We did, but anytime you do a cultural change of, of technology or processes, there's always a little bit of pushback. And because of the pandemic, my team also bought in. We told them what the what we see potentially. We we see that potentially Canada could be locked down and we could be working from home for months at a time. Um, no idea it was gonna be 18 months, but long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they bought in. So when we said this is what we're doing and this is the change we're making, and this is why. We didn't get a single pushback from anyone. Everyone understood the direction we're doing. Even the ones that didn't understand it or couldn't comprehend the exactly how to make it work or having problems with training, they they just reached their hand up more and said, I need more help. I just need more help. And we were giving as much training as they needed to get that done. But no one pushed back because they knew the end goal, why we had the end goal. It wasn't just for because I was bored one day and I wanted to put a new system in place. It was because of we need to get us to a certain level so we could work from home if we had to. Yeah, I don't get the sense that you're ever bored. I think you're always busy doing something <laughs> effective. But but no, that is important to cast the vision for where you're headed because it is painful to make changes. And for anyone that's ever managed people, that is typically the moment where you really have to like step out and say, this is the direction. This is why the buy-in matters. You can't work uphill with your, with your team pushing against you the whole time on, on these changes. So getting that buy-in obviously was critical. And I'm sure they're very thankful for it now because it did provide opportunities to continue to grow and um, provide good service throughout the pandemic. But one of the things you, you said in there, I think is, you know, so wise and, and so important is this idea that yes, we'll be faced with challenges in this world, but we have to look for the opportunities that lay in in those challenges, right? So the last year and a half, it's been difficult. But like you said, what is happening around me that can force a positive change for the future? So yeah, you made all those changes because you were concerned about what a pandemic could do to your business and then it did happen. But now you're positioned really well going forward and your team is on board with technology. They understand it and they're using it in a really efficient way. So I, I think that's, a really good way to approach it. Um, I don't think all of us have looked at the past year and a half that way. And I think we've all had moments where uh, it was a little doom and gloom and we kind of were worried about the future. But those that are going to be successful always come back to this idea of like, well, where's the opportunity? How can I help people during this time? How can I help our company during this time? How can I be productive? No, I agree. And that's kind of the attitude we had the entire pandemic. So that was the pre-pandemic. But even during the pandemic, we learned in the first three months 
that we had a 42% increase in email volume coming into the office. Mm. We never, we never, we never projected that at all. We, we didn't think that at all, but because people were home, they're following up on requests. And because they're home, the little things were nitpicking at them. And we saw this volume of increasing ticket services. So we had to find ways during the pandemic, even, even when they were working from home, how to handle the email volume. So we implemented new ticketing services. Uh, we forced more people through ticket systems. We added more functionality to our website to handle more tickets so we could track them and trace them and just handle more things in the same amount of staff. Because even though the pandemic was happening, I couldn't hire more staff to handle the email volume, even though we had that massive increase. So we had to figure out ways to be able to provide similar level of service and make people happy and still and still have a business at the end of the day and still be a profitable business at the end of the day. Yeah, you have to scale, right? <laughs> no matter what it is, no matter what's happening, you have to figure out how to, how to solve those problems um, in the moment. So let's talk, I guess, a little bit about the specific technology or tools that you are using to operate. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about how you'd started with Google and moved over to more of a, a Microsoft uh, type meant, uh, suite of products. What are you using across your company to share data, to share communication, to keep everyone up to date? What does that look like? So we definitely moved to a, a, a Microsoft Office 365 uh, solution. So obviously the basic, the Word, Excel, the PowerPoints, um, we use OneDrive for all of our file systems across the whole company now. Um, SharePoint, though overwhelming initially, um, once we kind of got a hang of SharePoint, SharePoint's where we do communication. We don't, we no longer do email blasts to our team because I know if I do an email blast today, anyone who I hire tomorrow will not be able to see that blast. But if I post on, on SharePoint, now they can go look at the last six months or three months of, of messages we put out, notes and information and training and that kind of stuff out there. And they can review all those documents. Also, my team knows that we talked about it last month. They can go to SharePoint and search for it, find the article, learn how to do it. So but before the pandemic, even things like how to set rent manager on your home computer. It's simple. To, we all know it's simple to install a rent manager, but a lot of my staff had never done it. So I had to build, I took your guys' log and my information and built a little log on how to install rent manager at home. We built a little uh, SharePoint article on that. And then when they want to do it, they can access SharePoint from home. They log into SharePoint and they can grab that article and then install uh, install rent manager properly on their home computer. No, I think it's little stories like that that are so impactful because it seems simple. It seems obvious sometimes, but people are resourceful. And if you give them access to the things they need to be successful, they will do it, right? And I, and I think that's one thing we continually learn about technology is people are very intelligent. They're smart. They want to do a good job. They just need the tools to do it. They don't want their hand held. They really just want to be able to get access to what they need to be successful. And, and I think things like SharePoint and OneDrive and things like that do exactly that, right? Instead of asking the question every time, they can say, well, let me check SharePoint before I ask Peter what the next step is. And there's a good chance that the next step is in SharePoint and they don't need extra help and they can be more efficient and they can be a little more proud of who they are as an employee because they're, again, being resourceful and figuring things out on their own. It also saves them time. Like, so they're not bugging me. They're not calling our IT support team. They're not calling their manager. They're just doing it themselves. And that's, that's the logic is we need to build solutions that everyone can implement without having to do massive IT support systems and to do all that stuff. So um, the, the, the rent manager install was a great one. Even installing Office 365, again, simple process. It's only a couple of clicks, we'll say, but we had to make sure we showed people how to do that and use that. Um, the other tool that I just, I, actually, the funny thing is just, it just popped up on my screen as we're talking, and I technically, I forgot about it, is Teams. So Microsoft Teams, um, 
my, we didn't use much, we used zero for Microsoft Teams internally. Like we just didn't use it. Um, and it went from basically zero all the way up to full usage. So my team has different chats going on. We do video, they do video conferencing more. My desktop phone doesn't ring. My Teams does. Like when my phone rings, I look over and go, oh, that's, that's, so, that's, my, that's my branch manager in Amazon calling. Why is he calling my phone? He never calls my phone. <laughs> he always calls me on Teams because he always wanted a video chat so you can see each other. You can smile. You can do hand gestures. They just, they've, everyone in the team has developed into the, using Teams so much. It cracks me up that no one's using desktop phones anymore. I completely agree with that. Uh, I think video conferencing is probably the biggest threat to phones at this point. I, I definitely think <laughs> it's the, the way of the future. And, and it's funny, we've known it for years. If you think back to like the Jetsons and <laughs> cartoons and sci-fi, they've been showing video calls for decades and the technology wasn't there. And also the adoption wasn't there, right? The tools have been there. Uh, we're the same way. We're a Microsoft uh uh, company as well. A lot of the tools we use are Microsoft base. We had teams. We used it a tiny bit before the pandemic, but 100% we're all in on it now. We use it constantly. Um, and it's, and it's a really good tool. I mean, <laughs> not getting anything from Microsoft to say that, but it really is a good tool and we really enjoy it. And it is making it easier to communicate internally, externally, and keep all that communication in one place. Uh, so all those things I think are helping to bring people together while maybe they're working in different places. And, um, I know at our company, we've started to bring people back to the office. There's a good portion that work in the office at this point, but there's still a good portion that works part-time remote. So how do you connect with those people in an effective way? Video conferencing is definitely the answer to that. Well, and as I get used to teams as well, what turns into some of these stuff. So we have like chats for our different divisions, um, but also for our different offices and, and they are not, they're not always work related. Sometimes it turns into a, a question about work-related, but then it turns into a bunch of gifts showing up from different people researching, <laughs> searching weird gifts and funny gifts, and then they start talking to the satire and making and making fun of the situation or whatever they're doing. But it gets it gets a human connection rather than just saying, "Hey, how do I do this?" or "Hey, has someone talked to Joe?" kind of thing. It's 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 basically that now they're getting into actually human connections, and that's what's more important is the culture of stuff, and that's. What I noticed on teams is, is the culture starting to grow on that. Now it's not just not just a hey, can you sign this check for me? Thank you. It's more of it's more the culture stuff and who they are and and people are posting like the, we just had a lady who had a brand new a, gra she's a grandmother for the first time and she was posting pictures of the baby, which some people don't like that, but I can tell you that ninety percent of the team all commented about that and we're making then they were making different things with uh, different memes with the baby's picture and everything else and it was really cute. Like it was just they totally bought into the idea that there's more than just work it's a cultural thing they can chat about it is it's almost like group chats like that on programs like teams are replacing the old water cooler type mentality right that's where you gather to have those in-person or uh, very personable conversations that are not business related where you're talking about the weekend or sharing what's going on in your life um, i agree I, I think there is good culture building around it um, I still love talking to people in person and, and having those one-on-one -on -one conversations or those group chats in person, but there is a need for this and to have those tools on top of the tools that are needed to operate your business, you know, they're equally as valuable. No, I agree. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted my staff back this summer, um, we were, we were mandated to in August that we could bring staff back. So we started bringing everyone back and the rule was they could work one day a week from home um, it could be Monday to Thursday, but Friday, everyone had to be in the office. And the reason for Friday, uh, was, is a truly cultural thing. So everyone's in the office at one point in time, 
they could connect, they could chat, they could tell stories, they could chat with a water cooler kind of thing. They're getting coffee. They could talk about their boyfriend, their grandkids, whatever it was. They got to know each other. And what we found is the amount of complaints and, and arguments between people has dropped dramatically since August. Um, um, because I think people understand, like, you know what? They know so-and-so has a new baby. So you know what? If they come in tired and maybe a little cranky on, you know, on email response or kind of snap a little bit here and there, they know, you know what? She was probably up in the middle of the night with the baby all night, tired. Right. Um, we have a lady who has a has a, a, a handicapped son, an adult son. And when he has bad nights, she doesn't sleep. And so mm-hmm. she can be a little cranky on those nights, on those mornings. But she comes into work, she gets her stuff done. But you know what? Everyone has a little more, more, more empathy for her because they know her personal situation. But if you only go on teams and only chat about a few things, you don't know her background and some of the things happening in her personal life that may affect how she may respond to you on, on the next day. But now they do. The the amount of discussions and arguments, they're just like, oh. So and so must be having a bad day. I hope they I hope they had a good sleep last night. That kind of mentality. And it's it's different. So that culture is super important to me. And I and I that's why when I step back, we just got shut down actually on Monday from our government. Our numbers are too high. So the government's recommending everyone work from home again. So my staff is working from home again. But the last six weeks have been great to help with that cultural feeling of everything. And my and I've asked various team members and they've kind of agreed that same kind of mentality that they write, they understand people more, they're they're more tolerant of each of each other more. Absolutely. And I think we have to be careful not to dehumanize people right through technology. We have to make efforts to humanize them so we understand we have empathy. We care for people on a deeper level when we get to know them one on one. And, and, and I guess just for reference, anyone listening to this, we're recording, I guess it's a uh, September 10th when I'm recording this. So just some reference as we'll post this a little bit later as far as the timing of things and what's happening with the pandemic is things are starting to, increase in a number of areas. So maybe there's some increased mandates if people were able to go back previously. But we, what we know is that things like this can disrupt our business and they go back and forth, but it's just not a pandemic, right? So what are some of the other, I guess, situations that you know as a company you can overcome because you have these things in place that go again beyond maybe just a, a pandemic? Um, so the, the idea is on, on like, you think about like disasters, like, so fire floods, even theft. Um, right now I know that if our, any one of my offices burned down, I have to go down to the store and buy 10 computers, 20 computers. And then basically everyone just logs in and all their files sync back up because we know everything's online. We know rent managers there. We know our phones, our soft phones are going to be installed. We install a dozen apps and then we're up and running. Like there's no downtime. Um, we had a theft in the office. Someone broke in the office, uh, about a year ago, we'll say, but a year, let's say a year ago, um, and stole a laptop. And the one lady was really mad about that. And I'm like, I don't see what the problem is. Insurance will cover the laptop. I bought, I'll buy, I'm going to right now to buy you one, get us in a couple hours here and you'll be up and running. And she's like, Oh, I never thought of that. You're right. Why do I care? <laughs> I'm like, you don't, it's all secure. We lock the laptop down and move on. It's just mm-hmm. a, it doesn't matter anymore. So the bill, if the office burnt down, I could just go buy new machines for everybody. They can start work from home. And then when I got office space, they could all move in the office space. It's just basic. There's nothing structurally in our offices that we that we need anymore. And and that is the future of technology, right? Is having that flexibility to, to work anywhere, anytime, any situation, no matter what comes your way, you're ready. But there's obviously some limitations to what technology can solve for. Have you started seeing some of those limitations? You have you felt them, or is there another you know napkin somewhere that you've started listing out another five <laughs> or six things that you need you need to overcome for the future? So, so as much as our phone system allows us to do soft phones and really good stuff, um, we have our two main offices as our two anchors for the phone system, and we have them backing each other up. And during the pandemic, we actually 
we plan for a lot of outages. So if one company goes down or one office goes down for power, we can do it. Well, what happened? We didn't. We did what we didn't account for was we had one office lose their power to the whole building, and it was down for about three weeks. Uh, they had a they had a, a rainstorm that flooded their their main breaker panels in the building, so we had no power for about three weeks. And then my other main office, my other anchors, lost internet for about two weeks. Someone cut a line they shouldn't, have, and it took two weeks to get the wire the wire fixed. Well, all of a sudden now my two backups did not work, and then you're in a pandemic where no one's actually in the office to answer phones. So um, we no longer had the ability to use soft phones. We could answer phones if we're in the office, but we had no one in the office to sign phones. So we didn't plan for that much backup. <laughs> so we are looking now at a complete VoIP system. So there's no structural, there's no infrastructure in any of our offices at all that are affected by it. As long as they have power or internet, um, it'll work. And then anywhere we have power or internet, the phone will work. So they can bring them home and, and run that way. So we are looking at a limitation there for sure. Yeah, I think that's the only risk that, a lot of us face and there's really no solution for this is is lack of internet lack of power right and of course there's there's generators or backup power sources that you can have that can help with situations like that and and if you you know have internet you can have you know maybe a cellular connection to internet to help get through but i think we all know if you lose power and lose internet you're you're probably not going to get much done so we need to make sure that the infrastructure around those two items are are solid yeah, we just never we never accounted for that. We joked about that, like you plan for a lot of things, but you didn't plan for the double whammy in two different offices because <laughs> you think right. that they're they're three hundred kilometers, which is I don't know, that's that's one hundred eighty miles apart. You think there'd be separate problems, so they're safe. If one goes down, the other one will be fine. But they definitely didn't that time. We it scared us for a little bit. <laughs> well, it sounds like you overcame it and continue to move forward. Um, I love what you're doing with technology. I think it's really, really smart. Um, I think getting your team on board with it and showing them how it's making their jobs better and more productive is, is really wise as well. So, um, yeah. So as we wrap up the conversation today, I always like to end with one specific question and it goes outside of our topic from today. Uh, so the name of the podcast is Beyond Rent. So I want to know from your perspective, Peter, what do you think that our industry should focus on more that goes beyond rent, beyond the normal day-to-day operations of a property manager? What can we focus on that will improve our industry as a whole? It's, it's, it's not the most positive topic, but I'll bring it up. Um, the professionals in the, in the industry and the respect from our clients is the biggest piece that I run into right now. It's a one we don't have a solution for. Um, I find that my staff take more more abuse from people. Pandemic has helped hasn't, hasn't helped that situation either because the people are stressed. But the respect and the lack of respect from our clients for the things so everything blows up. And it's always our fault. The furnace didn't work. We must have not done the furnace repair. It's like, well, no, furnaces just die. They just do. Mm-hmm. But to yell yell at my staff and re- treat them that way. And then the idea that sometimes our professional opinion is not taken as professional, even though we know the right thing is, we know that has to be done ownership or boards or HOAs just not respecting that opinion. I think that's our biggest change. We need to change that that image of our industry to the outside world more and more. So people are taking our opinion as professional. We are professionals. We know our business. We all of us know anyone in this industry for more than a day knows we're professionals and we have to have knowledge. And and that knowledge needs to have respectfulness for it. And if not, we're going to have people, we're going to have problems in, uh, getting people into our industry. We're going to have people coming to our industry that are going to be issued labor problems are always a problem and having that kind of beating people up all the time on the phone or an email or whatever is just doesn't help the industry at all. So we need to, we need to fix that image of our industry and I don't know how to do it. Um, we've talked many times about it, but it's one of the ones I don't know. It's outside of technology and it's outside of the best software and the best office space and the nicest chairs and 
whatever else you would think of, it's an industry-wide thing. And everyone I talk to has the same feeling of basically getting kind of get yelled at when they really shouldn't be. There really should be a bit more respect there, we'll say, overall. Yeah, you know, and I'm really happy you brought that up. I think that is a really – um, it's a good thought because it, it is important. And I know there's a lot of associations that we're involved in. And I know that you're involved in that are trying to help elevate the level of professionalism in our industry and help present us better represent, advocate for different things. Um, but I do think it's one of those things that people do share some sentiment in it and are concerned about and how do we fix this and how do we address this? And, and I think a lot of it comes honestly from, from people like you, Peter, I think you are a professional. I think you operate your business in a professional manner and they, if they understand the tools and the procedures and, and all the, the expertise that you have when it comes to this industry, then that's, I think the key. And I think if we elevate all of it up, I think that's really how we grow. And there's still a good portion of the industry that, falls under the kind of the, the term landlord where it's the really small owners where they have just a small, a few handful of properties that they operate themselves rather than seeking out somebody like yourself to manage. I think getting all those people on board with understanding the value, the true value that a property manager brings, I think that helps solve some of that, but it doesn't solve it all. So I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thought and something I think we all need to ponder and, and try to do our part to, to fix. No, I 100% agree. 100% agree. Uh, my lawyer put it one way, you manage billions of dollars worth of assets. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it is a big deal. Well, if someone that's listening wants to learn more about you or Magnum York, uh, what's the best way for them to maybe reach out or maybe a website that they can check out? Yeah. So magnumyork.com is where you can find us. And then um, my email address is pbest at magnumyork.com. And they're welcome to reach out to me anytime. I'm happy to answer questions. I love talking to other people in the industry. Um, I've done lots of uh, rent manager conferences and met people over the years and they've reached out to me over the years, asking me questions and just, just chatting about both the industry and business. It's, it's awesome. I love doing it. I really appreciate it. Obviously, you know a lot about the industry and also we just focus on the technology side, but I know you're an expert in a number of different areas within our industry. So I do encourage everyone to, to look up Magnum York, reach out to Peter, get to know him. Um, he mentioned the Rent Manager User Conference. Obviously, uh, you know, I'm with Rent Manager and we do have our user conference uh, coming up this year. So if you are a user of our software, you should definitely come out. Peter will be there. I'll be there. It'll be a really good time. And uh, Peter, thanks for being on the podcast. And to all of our audience, thanks for listening. And it means so much that you choose to spend some time with us to learn more about the property management industry. And if you're not subscribed yet, make sure you do that. Look us up on your favorite podcast player. And while you're there, take some time to rate, review, and share this with other industry experts because we all need to learn more about how to operate in this industry. And if you aren't familiar with Rent Manager quite yet, then visit rentmanager.com to learn more about our property management software. Or you can reach out directly to me, Joe Easton, on LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, keep going beyond rent.